Hello and welcome back to the MRX Lab podcast, brought to you by Flex MR, where we investigate and explore topics on the fringes of market research. I'm your host, Chris Martin, and today we're going to be talking about economics. Now, as a marketer and a researcher, I've heard frequently from both angles that the way to get a seat at the C-suite table is by speaking the language of finance that executives make decisions based on calculations, risk and returns, that marketing and research just don't get that language and that's why we are shut out. I disagree. I think that's an old way of thinking. Modern firms understand the value of creativity, of customer and consumer opinion because they need to. In the crowded marketplaces of the 21st century, any advantage, even if it's based on creativity, and especially ones based on knowledge, is to be coveted. Equally, however, that's not to say there isn't value to be found in studying the principles of that financial language, which do still hold a place in the executive decision-making process. In fact, the insights industry has already dipped a toe in this water. Behavioural economics is the study of psychology as it relates to decision-making processes, and although it's at odds with traditional economics, because as a field of study, it suggests that people do not uh, always make the most rational decisions available to them, it is still a form of economics. It even actually uh, goes so far as to suggest that people are incapable of making rational decisions. One of the most famous principles to emerge from this field is that of the nudge. Nudge theory posits that it's uh, more effective to subtly lead to desired behaviours through things like positive reinforcement and indirect suggestion than other methods. It's become popular in social sciences and in politics, and it was reportedly used by both David Cameron and Barack Obama to help implement domestic policies. But reports that nudges may have also been part of the UK government's 2020 coronavirus strategy have also shown its limitations and challenges in producing short-term effects. If you're interested in learning more about behavioural economics specifically, there's a huge amount of literature available. I'd recommend uh, the classic Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman, as well as Predictable, Predictably Irrational by Dan Ariely, Freakonomics by Stephen Levitt, and what I'm currently reading, The Choice Factory by Richard Shotton. But for the remainder of this episode of the podcast, we're going to look towards more traditional economics, the study of how rational individuals, businesses, governments, and nations make decisions about allocating resource. The first principle I want to look at is ceteris paribus, after which I named this episode. It's a Latin phrase which means all other things being equal, and it's often used as a shorthand to describe the effect that one variable will have on another if nothing else in the environment changes. I think this is a fairly interesting concept to researchers, 
social and psychological environments are so complex that the conclusions we draw about correlation and causation can sometimes only be made if we assume that no other changes are occurring. And then there's uh, mutatis mutandis. This, on the other hand, means the exact opposite, and refers to the way in which all factors interact with each other to affect an outcome. While ceteris paribus is useful for isolation, mutatis mutandis is a reminder that decisions are not made in a vacuum and that factors we are sometimes not even measuring should be taken into consideration as well when observing an outcome. So what other principles should we also pay heed to? Well there's a few as it turns out. First, people face trade-offs. To get one thing, people have to usually give something else up. This is not only true for the exchange of goods and services, uh, but also very much in practice in product development. Features will come at the cost of something else, whether that's another feature, price, or something different entirely. Understanding how people make trade-offs and what is considered a fair exchange is vital. Next, the cost of something is what you give up to get it. While there's a lot of examples of this in practice, I think the ones that researchers are most acutely aware of is that of incentives. The cost of an incentive must be more valuable than what a person gives up to receive it. For online research this might simply be time, but for physical in-person research this might also include the cost of travel, effort, time off work, or even just inconvenience. The opportunity cost, what could have been done instead. Third, rational people think at the margin. Similar to the concept nudge theory was developed on, this principle states that people will make changes if the marginal benefit uh, exceeds the marginal cost. For both marketers and researchers, I think the important point here is that it's much harder to change core behaviours and that incremental changes in behaviour are easier to influence. To get someone to try a new brand of food they already eat will require less investment than introducing them to an entirely new food. Similarly, it will be easier to persuade an individual to try a new food from a brand they are familiar with than an entirely new one. And finally, the last one we're going to talk about. People respond to incentives. I think we're all familiar with this concept, but it doesn't just mean that people should be fairly compensated for their time. It should also be in play uh, when we're guiding pricing and promotional development. Incentives are broad in variety. It's not a narrow term. They can range from discounts to loyalty schemes uh, to free offers, promotional items and a whole load more. What will work best for any given brand and why? We can't just rely on the economics to guide these decisions. We need the data and the research too. And there's another six principles that make up the 10 basic economic principles. Um, but these remaining six focus primarily on the role of governments, commerce and markets. It's these first four that relate to the behavior of individuals. They can be a helpful lens through which to analyze and understand what consumers do. But we also have to remember that people, unlike systems, are not rational. It's not only these statements that determine what people do, 
but the irrational also. Emotion, desire, wants, needs, and hidden forces we're not even aware of. To deliver impactful results that influence C-suite decision-making, we, as researchers, should be comfortable discussing both sides of human nature, the rational and the irrational alike. And that brings me to the end of today's episode. I want to thank you for tuning into the MRX Lab podcast. Remember, you can subscribe to be notified when we publish new episodes on your favourite podcasting service. And you can check out our show notes at www.flexmr.net. Just head over to the Resource Centre and choose Podcast from the drop-down menu. While I'm out of time today, I will see you in a few weeks where we'll be talking about critical thinking, its importance to the insights industry, and how to develop a mindset ideal for scrutinizing information.